This episode could be triggering for sensitive listeners and contains mature content. It may not be suitable to all listeners. Should you need any emotional assistance, please see the show notes for telephone numbers that you can call. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are my own and do not reflect the official policy or position of the podcast. Any content provided by contributors such as the host, guests, bloggers, sponsors or authors are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, group, club, organization, company, individual or anyone or anything. In the 1960s, the golden age of Hollywood studio system was declining with the dominance of television. A young Venezuelan man, with stars in his eyes, moves to America to fulfill his dreams of fame. When he doesn't make it big on the ballet stage, or the big screen, he decides to find adoration in other ways. This is Decoding Cults, and I'm your host, Paul Z. This week we are looking at Buddha Field, Part 1. In this episode, we will be focusing on the origins of the cult. Very little is known about the early life of Jaime Gomez. We do know that he was born in Venezuela to a rich family who were either ranchers or coffee bean farmers, but do not know exactly when he was born. We know that he had a great love for ballet and had moved to America to allegedly join the Oklahoma Ballet, but had to leave when he got an injury. We pick up where he moved to Hollywood in the 1960s to pursue a career in acting. He legally changed his name to Michel Rostand and landed a tiny non-verbal role in the film Rosemary's Baby. Coincidentally, this film, made in 1968, was a horror which featured a pregnant woman suspecting her neighbours of being in a satanic cult. This scene ended up being his one and only so-called claim to fame on the silver screen. During the early 1970s, Michelle featured in a few gay porn movies produced by Falcon Studios under the pseudonym Dirk, but he kept this information very well under wraps from his future followers. It was during his time in Hollywood where he met an aspiring actress who introduced him to Guru Maharaj Ji's Divine Light Mission Meditation. The Divine Light Mission was started in 1960 in India and was brought to the West by his youngest son. It was said to be influenced by Bhagavad Gita and Sant Mat. I reached out to a friend of mine who practices Hinduism and he explained to me that there are two major texts within the ancient Hindu literature namely the Mahabharata and the Ramayana. Bhagavad Gita is a 700 verse section within the Mahabharata. In a nutshell, it is a story of one of the elder gods, Lord Vishnu, who converses and teaches Aryuna, 
Aryuna's family and friends wronged him, which resulted in a war. He was against the war and did not want to fight those he loved. He then starts a conversation with Lord Krishna. Lord Krishna does not incite violence, but teaches you that you need to stand up and do the right thing. Sant was a movement in India during the 13th century, where believers would seek truth by following mystic Hindu saints. I found a reference online that states, quote, The basic teachings of contemporary Sant as described by its masters, is that everything lies inside us, and God is within. The outside world is only an image or reflection of the inner reality. End quote. Michel's friend explained to him that he would have to attend a few meetings as a protocol before he would be able to gain the knowledge. According to the Divine Light Mission, the knowledge was a set of special techniques that followers would be given to gain enlightenment through meditation. Not wanting to wait, he persuaded his friend to sneak him into one of the satsang with her to gain the knowledge without having to go through all of the meetings. According to Yogapedia.com, quote, Traditionally, satsang referred only to a gathering in the presence of a truly enlightened being, or satguru. In modern times, satsang has evolved to mean any gathering in which spiritual reflection, discussion, meditation, or teaching takes place. For example, chanting in Kitran or philosophical debate in Dharma talks. Generally, a satsang gathering must meet the following requirements. A shared intention between group members, context or theme to spark spiritual insight, an agreement regarding ground rules and inclusivity. Satsang in a group can have a profound effect on the ego, since entering into a shared space of support and unity encourages selfless emotions to arise. Satsang is believed to dissolve any sense of separation, allowing the interconnectivity of all beings in the universe to become more apparent. It is believed that in the company of those who are committed to bring out the best in one another, extraordinary awakening can occur. End quote. The same evening, after attending satsang, Michelle and his friend decided to meditate together using the techniques, and when they finished, they agreed that they needed to do a much longer meditation session. The two of them embarked on a three-day-long meditation and enlisted some people to bring them food in between. When they had finished this marathon meditation session, they both came to the realization that they had been drawn to the darker side of themselves. Michelle's friend expressed that she kept pushing towards the light, but he said that he enjoyed going towards his dark side. Following this, Michelle tried to convince her to go to a black magic meeting, but she didn't want to go down that path. He then went on to read a lot of information and steal techniques from others. Michelle moved to Florida as he had found out that there was a divine light mission center there. He also took a course there for a degree in hypnotherapy. In the documentary Holy Hell, there are flashes of these diplomas, but none of these could be verified. We do know, however, that he would go on to use these techniques, so my assumption is that he must have picked it up somewhere. He claimed that he was going to use his degree to assist in helping divine light followers. Michel inherited some money when his father passed, 
which he used to purchase two homes in Fort Lauderdale in Florida. He rented out one of the houses and started a psychodrama acting class in the other one which he lived. During this time, he was known as Michelle Lockman. The psychodrama classes were advertised as an acting class where one could explore your psyche by acting out events which happened in your past. Michelle also added meditation techniques to the classes. It is said that Michelle eventually had 30 people attending his class. Murti, an ex-follower, described in the Gurdjieff Journal how he came to know about Michelle. Murti was in a very emotionally vulnerable place in his life. He had lost his sister in a car accident and his parents basically wrote him off when he entered drug rehab. He was in college and was on step 11 of the 12-step program, which according to AA.org is, quote, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out, end quote. Murti began meditating and soon saw other students around the campus meditating as well. He approached one, they became friends, and started meditating together. His friend then convinced him to accompany him to an open satsang which Michelle held each month. It was during a satsang that he would speak about experiencing the knowledge, which he would later refer to as the knowing. For the purposes of continuity, I will further refer to it as the knowing. He also stated that he was not only the only one who could impart this knowledge, but only he knew when a person was really ready to receive it. Here, we can see that he is already using other teachings to make his own. This is not new, as there are other cults that also take elements of teachings, sometimes renaming them, and then proclaiming them as their own. Although Murti was not particularly impressed by Michelle, he was intrigued by the promise of inner light and inner sound. He then started to attend the weekly psychodrama classes and even found the hypnotherapy healing. He stated in the article, quote, He hooked me first with the hypnotherapy. He took me to a deep-rooted trauma and helped heal me from it. I felt very grateful to this therapist. I then fell to thinking, he is my teacher, he is helping me, end quote. After a time, some of the students became disillusioned with Michelle, complaining that they had joined the class not to follow a person, but to improve on and work on themselves. Those who were fully devoted to Michelle immediately came to his defense. The disgruntled members left the class, but to those who stayed behind, Michelle said, quote, I'm going to take you all the way to enlightenment. Are you going to come with me or not? End quote. He further stated, quote, You're my helpers. We're going to bring many people into this experience of the knowledge, free people from their bondage of suffering, and I'm going to help lead you there. Are you going with me or not? End quote. They all committed to him, and he gave their movement the name Buddhafield, and named his followers disciples. This is another example of a cult leader asserting himself as one to be regarded above others and get followers to listen to him to the point of worship. In my opinion, 
This is also where Michelle finally gained some semblance of fame, albeit being adored by a small group of people. The very first knowing session was very emotional for those who had attended. All of the disciples were clothed in white, and one even made a lay and placed it around Michelle's neck. One by one, the disciples would go into a separate room where Michelle was seated with pictures of different gurus surrounding him. Those who he deemed ready to receive the knowing would need to make five vows. One, they were not allowed to share it. If they shared it, it would be devastating to those who were not ready to receive it, even worse than killing them. And of course, only Michelle knew when you were ready for it. Two, you had to be loyal to your guru. Three, you had to always listen to and never question your guru. Four, you could not give satsang on your own. And five, you had to meditate for an hour twice a day. They were then ready to receive the knowing. There were, however, some people who he did not deem to be ready to receive it. These people were almost looked down upon by the rest and were not even allowed to join in the satsang. Those, however, who did receive it were revered within the group. Michelle would say to them, quote, Let me give you divine sight so you can see the face of God. End quote. For the next four years, the group remained in Florida. During this period, Michelle would hold two to three knowing sessions per year. Some of those who had already received the knowing would recommit themselves and go deeper into it by receiving additional information on techniques from Michelle. Those disciples who received the techniques would then use this to bring on their own experience of enlightenment. The disciples also, for the most part, wore all white, meditated for an hour twice a day, and were not allowed any TV, dairy, or sugar. They were also discouraged from doing drugs, as they were told that they would get a drug-free high with meditation. Satsang was held every Thursday evening, and it was said to last up to four hours. They would also have a shorter one on Sundays. Each of these would start off with meditation and then sharing, which was basically Michelle telling them his version of the truth, and then would end in song, in some cases, popular songs, in which they would change the words to suit the teachings. And even though Michelle kept proclaiming that he was not the guru, but that the knowing was the teacher, in the same breath, he would still claim to be the only one who could bestow this knowledge. When we overlay Dr. Steve Hassan's bite model over this information, we can already see the way in which Michel was controlling his disciples like a cult leader. By controlling their diet, their sources of information, and making them spend hours meditating, he was already altering their behavior and making them more susceptible to his teachings. A nearby ashram was giving tabla lessons. Tabla is a pair of hand drums from the Indian region, which are played while sitting on the ground. Murti was keen on taking lessons and approached Michelle to ask permission to go to that ashram to take them. Upon the request, Michelle lost his mind, stating in a fit of anger, quote, You're my disciple. You'll betray me if you go there. End quote. The friend who had introduced Murti to the group also berated him, going as far as yelling at him that he was ruining his own life. Murti decided not to take the lessons. 
Here is another example of leaders wanting to control any information given to the followers. They cut them off from any outside teachings that may influence their views of the indoctrination of the leader. According to Britannica.com, quote, Cold War, the open yet restricted rivalry that developed after World War II between the United States and the Soviet Union and their respective allies. The Cold War was waged on political, economic and propaganda fronts and had only limited resource to weapons, end quote. Initially, it peaked between 1948 and 1953, then relaxed a bit but was always playing in the background. It regained momentum in late 1979 and the early 80s. Michel used the disciples' fear of the threat of nuclear annihilation to his advantage, convincing his followers that then, more than ever, they needed to find the light. The disciples, wanting to find God, became even more intertwined in the movement, and therefore in Michel. Toward the end of the group's time in Florida, Michel went to an ashram in Oregon to learn how to give Shaktipat. According to Yogapedia.com, quote, Shaktipat is a Sanskrit term referring to the process of transmitting spiritual energy from one person to another. This energy can be transmitted in a number of ways, by touch, through mantra, with a look, through a sacred word, or by thought, end quote. They go on further to say, quote, Shaktipat is viewed as an act of grace provided by a guru or divine being to someone else, end quote. One day, Michelle announced that they were moving to California. His reasoning behind this was that he had fallen in love with a disciple there, which is strange given the stance he would take on relationships later. It did, however, come to light later that he was running from alleged charges for sexually manipulating a young disciple. Once in California, Michel began giving Shaktipat. He continued with his acting classes and provided one-on-one hypnotherapy sessions with his disciples. He would charge them $40 per month for the classes and $50 per session for the one-on-one hypnotherapy, which he then started to refer to as cleansing therapy. He also encouraged his disciples to not read any books regarding meditation ideas. His open satsang in West Hollywood also became very popular and large crowds of people would attend. It was even said that the few of the actors from the TV show Dallas attended. During the satsang, there was first a long period of silence where Michelle would stare at each person. Thereafter, he would speak about a topic of his choosing. This would be followed by meditation and then singing. Some evenings he would announce, quote, Who would like Shakti? Raise your hand if you would like to have Shakti. End quote. He would then intensely stare at those who had raised their hands and would only select a few of these to receive it. On these evenings, the Shaktipat would be followed by more meditation. Those who decided to follow Michelle would leave their homes and families and live together communally. They would still have day jobs, but all of the income would be used for essentials and then for anything needed within the community. The group did create a hair clip called Wings. The profits made from the sale of these products went to the group and were also said to have paid for their master's travels. In 1985, 
Will Allen, the man who would later go on to direct Holy Hell, a documentary on the cult, had just left film school at 22 and was told to leave home when he had come out to his mother as gay. His sister told him to come and join the group that she had been living with for the last nine months. Within this group, Will found a sense of community and soon became the unofficial official videographer of the group. The group was filled with very attractive young people. Within this new community, Michelle had extended some of the rules. On top of no sugar, dairy and drugs, they were also not allowed to have caffeine or alcohol and had to live and eat clean. They also had to exercise regularly to stay in peak physical condition. The followers were told by Michelle to let go of their minds and drop their egos. I just quickly want to point out that this is also a form of control, where a leader starts to take away a follower's critical thought. Over and above this, he also requested that the disciples remain celibate and not have relationships, explaining to them that having a sexual orgasm was, quote, a little death, end quote, and that this breeds low energy. Only through meditation and celibacy would they achieve high energy. During some of Michelle's lessons, he would sometimes pretend to masturbate and pull strange faces to discourage his members from doing the same. The thing is, it was kind of an open secret that members were sleeping with each other on the down low. Disciples were tasked to give service. This meant that they were to give up some of their free time to assist others for free. They were told that this was something that needed to be done selflessly, for others, for God. Some assisted within the community, and others were appointed to assist Michelle. I will get into those who were appointed to Michelle later. Disciples really enjoyed their service. In the Holy Hell documentary, one person fondly described how they assisted quadriplegic people in wheelchairs and how fulfilling it was to help them in their daily lives. Others still would assist with errands around the community, helping to build and fix things. As I mentioned before, all of the disciples were beautiful and very well built. Fitness was important to Michelle. He also still had a great love of ballet and would practice every day. People were drawn to him as he was not the traditional guru with the long beard wearing robes. Michelle was very fit himself and would often be seen walking around in just a speedo and sunglasses. He would on occasion take his followers out to the woods, where they would chant and dance and swim in rivers or in the ocean. During these outings, Michelle would also perform Shaktipat on some of the disciples. They would bow down before him, and then he would touch them on the head, right where the third eye is said to reside. Followers would then receive his energy, one even stating that they could, quote, hear lightning and see flashes of light, end quote. Michelle taught his followers that he had had a master who had led him to a great spiritual awakening and taught him everything, and that it was now his turn to impart this knowledge to his followers, only there was no actual proof of this master. While watching the documentary, you almost get a sense that this group is genuinely happy and it looks like something that you would want to be part of. I think for the most part, especially in the beginning, they were happy. In my opinion, more so among their brothers and sisters within the community. Some of the disciples had come from rough backgrounds, 
but others had been relatively successful before joining the group. One of the followers had a good job, was on a great career path, and was even engaged to be married before she joined. I had a fascinating conversation with a cult expert recently, and he explained something to me which could explain why these people joined. He said to me that people may have a need in their life, and when they cross paths with these types of groups, that group may be able to fulfill this need. He further explained that there are some people who are out there looking for simple answers to very complex questions, and these leaders oftentimes provide these answers, so it makes it easier for them to accept this instead of trying to develop the skills to manage that set of emotions to handle the complexity of the world and of life. I want to go back to the service that the disciples were tasked to do. As I mentioned before, some of them were tasked to provide service to Michelle. Followers were very honored when they were chosen for this. One guy was his chauffeur, and one had to prepare meals for him. One of the followers asked what he could do for Michelle, and he was tasked to make fruit salads for him each morning. He would make these beautiful, elaborate works of art from cut fruit, one of which was even a depiction of the Last Supper. One day, as he handed his latest work of art over to the other member, who was to take it to Michelle, he saw that member simply throw all of the fruit into a blender and make a smoothie. Although this hurt him, as he realized that Michelle had never seen any of his works of art, he still continued to make his art pieces, even though he knew that Michelle would never see it. Another one of the disciples was tasked to carry Michelle's chair around. Yes, you heard right. Michelle had his own special chair, which the disciple would carry around on his back during any of their outings. And not one of those cool foldable chairs that you get now, like a legit full-on chair. Looking at footage of this, it's almost as if he is placing himself above his followers. In my opinion, this is yet another way in which he subtly shows his dominance and elevation over the group. Then, he also had his body workers. These disciples would be Michelle's personal masseuses. They were on call 24-7 and would even need to travel with him. Will Allen was one of these. He and a fellow disciple and body worker Philippe even moved into the apartment next door to Michelle. They then proceeded to convert their living room into a dance studio for him to be able to do his daily ballet practice in. Murt recalled that as they spent more time in California, Michelle's teaching would be less about the meditation techniques. As you recall, he would insist that the teaching was the guru and not him, and, in the beginning, he had very much promoted the techniques which the followers used to find their own version of inner light and God. Michelle now would put more focus on the Shakti and made it out to be a better way to gain a direct experience with God, obviously only through him. When they did meditate, the disciples would be told to visualize his face during meditation. Some of the older followers started noticing this, so one day, Murti questioned Michelle about the shift away from the knowing. Michelle replied, quote, People in LA get confused and need a focus. They need to focus on me. So you understand that. End quote. When Murti asked about the light, he responded, quote, Just visualize me 
and then go into the light. I am the gateway, end quote. Again here, in my opinion, it may be more about the adoration that he was seeking and having people focusing on him. I think he may have gotten quite a power trip out of it. In the summer of 1989, Michel finally decided to hold another knowing session where he promised that this would be where his followers would truly experience God. This session was to take place over a few days in a forested area of Mammoth Lakes in California. 150 members decided to attend this celebration. At the start of the session, he had his disciples sit around him and told them, quote, If you could only comprehend what this means to finally have God being revealed to you in its purest form, finally. So who wants to ask for the knowing today? End quote. Obviously, all of the disciples raised their hands. I mean, who wouldn't want to have that kind of experience? He had also told his followers that they would need to give up everything to be able to receive the knowing. He further said that he would know if they had not. One evening before the session, Michel told Will that he had been up all night fighting with God for Will's life. He said that he was destined for a terrible accident and would die, but that if Will trusted in him and followed him, then he would be okay. Here is another way in which leaders manipulate their followers by scaring them into thinking if they do not follow them, they would end up dead. Michel placed himself on a throne-like situation. He had his chair on a raised platform and was surrounded by a bunch of flowers to the right and left of him. He also had a tie-dyed rainbow piece of cloth that hung behind him. One by one, the followers would come to him and bow down before the throne. He would stare at them unblinkingly and intently, some even describing it as hypnotizing. Then, after a time, he would ask them what they wanted, and the follower would reply that they would like to receive the knowing. He would then tell them to bow down and tell them that they would receive the knowing, and that they would know God directly. Followers who received the knowing would walk back to the group in differing stages of euphoria. Some would be in a complete daze. Some would laugh and smile brightly. Others would collapse in a downpour of happy tears. One later described that they had even been able to feel atoms. However, there were disciples who were told that they could not have the knowing revealed to them at that time. He would say that they were, quote, not quite ready yet, end quote. Those who did not receive this gift started to feel very inadequate. They were heartbroken over this. Michelle would tell those who had been there far longer than others, but had not received the knowing, that those people were just older souls. In our next episode, we will see how things started to turn, and the terrible secrets that would come to light. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button and rate and review us. It'll go a long way in improving the podcast and help others find it. You can also find us on Facebook and you can email us at decodingcults at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. If there are any topics or cults that you would like me to discuss, please email me or post it in the Facebook group and I will gladly spend some time on it for you. The amazing logo art was created by the tattoo artist Jock Jacobs and I just want to remind you again about the cool business by Design Crafts. Thank you so much for listening.